We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion. On today's show, a University of Virginia student actually has to sue, has to take his case before a federal judge just to protect his right to ask questions and engage in debate at his stellar institution, Thomas Jefferson's Pride and Joy. I'll discuss this and the lie of false tolerance on today's rebellion. Welcome to today's rebellion. A little update on the news. Some of you may know that I actually was invited to go on Fox and Friends this past Sunday morning. The reason I was invited to go on was twofold. One was to comment on this particular story, this student from the University of Virginia who actually had to take his case before a federal judge to argue for the preservation of his right to simply engage in debate and ask questions on that campus. Yes, that's actually what took place. So I commented on that story on Fox and Friends, but I also was given the opportunity to promote my new book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, because frankly, my book presents the solution to this insanity, this nonsense, this snowflake rebellion, not just existing in the students that are pouting and prancing across the campus greens of Berkeley and Brown, But no, as I've said before, those students have graduated, and now they hold positions as faculty, as fact-checkers, and they're canceling everything in our culture right now. These high priests of cancel culture are canceling freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to go to church. They're canceling freedom to have a baseball game. They're canceling all disagreement, and now they're even canceling debate. They're canceling the right to ask a question and to engage in a good exchange of ideas at the University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's institution. Thomas Jefferson's institution. This is, this is so predictable. As I'll say later on in the show, I told you so. In 2017, when I wrote my book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, I said the consequences of bad ideas, of abandoning truth, of imbibing lies rather than attending to the facts, of elevating our feelings and opinions over those things that actually are, those things that are real, I said the chickens will come home to roost, that these ideas will not stay in the classroom, that they will be practiced in our culture in very short order, and here we are. Let's take an early break, acknowledge our corporate sponsors, and when we get back, I'll share with you a little bit about what I said on Fox and Friends, and had I been given more time than two minutes, what I would have said if the uh, invitation would have been extended further. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's acknowledge those in the next couple minutes who are supporting us. I'll be right back after this break. Well, welcome back to The Rebellion. So here's the deal. 
If you harbor any hopes that the ivory tower still stands strong and resolute in the pursuit of truth, you can put those hopes to rest. Uh, It's crumbled. The ivory tower has crumbled. Let's consider Exhibit A in the case of the sane versus the snowflakes at the University of Virginia. This is the story I was asked to respond to on Fox and Friends. Well, there's a student, a second-year medical student. His uh, name, I believe you pronounce it, is Kiran Bhattachara. Now, the irony is, now maybe I'm being uh, somewhat uh, stereotyping, uh, guilty of stereotyping here, but I assume Kiran Bhattachara is not an Anglo. I assume that he might be able to uh, be self-centered and self-righteous and put himself in some sort of intersectional, marginalized group. That's something that I think he could have done. But the interesting fact is he didn't. He actually challenged that way of thinking rather than bought into it. The story. He actually had to seek a federal judge's intervention to protect his legal right to ask questions. Yes, you heard me correctly. Simply ask questions. Simply ask questions within the hollowed halls of Thomas Jefferson's pride and joy at the University of Virginia. His trouble began back in 2018. So this has been going on a few years, a couple years, three years probably, at least two and a half. I don't know when in 2018 this happened. He was a second-year medical student at the time, and he decided to attend a voluntary panel discussion on the campus. The subject was microaggressions. So he went to this lecture, and during that time, he raised his hand and he asked the presenter, a woman by the name of Beverly Cowell Adams, who happens to be the assistant dean at the University of Virginia. She was presenting as the expert, as the scholar, on microaggressions. So Bhattachara asked her if only marginalized groups could be victims of this kind of thought crime, of microaggressions. Well, Adams responded and told him, no, it wasn't just marginalized groups. Well, Bhattacharya was confused by that, and he pointed out to Adams that her slide presentation that she just used in her lecture indicated the exact opposite, and that she was being inconsistent. Does this sound like an egregious crime to you? Does this sound like heinous malfeasance of any type? Well, for asking for clarification and for engaging in what we used to just call a little bit of good, healthy debate, Bhattacharya was accused of hate speech and he was expelled from the school. I'm not kidding. This happened. Did he threaten somebody physically? No. Did he call somebody a racist name? No. Was he guilty of uh, poor academic performance in med school? No. Was he a science denier? No. Is he Anglo? Is he someone who could claim white privilege? I don't think so. Okay. Kiran Bhattachara. I don't think so. What was he guilty of? He was guilty of offending someone. He was guilty of hurting their feelings. So there you have it. I've pretty much summed up the state of today's educational enterprise. The ivory tower, our colleges and universities, our academic institutions have for all intents and purposes 
become perpetual nurseries where faculty and students alike are stuck in their chronic infancy, where all you hear is people shouting, you offended me. I don't feel loved. You hurt my feelings. I'm going to take my ball and go home. You can't play with me any longer. This perpetual chronic infancy of crying and whining every time somebody challenges their thinking with a contrary idea. This is not education, folks. This is a joke, and it's a juvenile joke. Now, I cover this in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Again, it'll be released this week, April 13th. Please consider going out and buying several copies. Give them away as graduation gifts. I challenge this. I challenge our culture's current infantile, infantile fixation on feelings over facts. Here's something I say. Now, I would have said this on Fox and Friends, but I only had a couple minutes, so I just didn't have time. All I had time to say was, we've got a mess on our hands, and my book offers a solution. Here's what I say in the book. And again, you can buy it if you want to read more. Quote, It seems that hardly a day goes by when the call for safe spaces and speech codes is not headline news. Every day our colleges and universities seem to stumble over themselves to prove that they are more bastions of ideological fascism than they are bulwarks of free speech. Places where students and faculty alike are more passionate about restricting debate than they are about defending the freedom to disagree. And I go on and I say this, the answer to this immaturity of mind is not found in the childish whines of false tolerance or the ideological safety of trigger warnings. It isn't found in more restrictions and more legalism. It isn't found in forced speech codes or countless rules against microaggressions. It isn't found in schoolyard taunts of me and mine and us versus them. No, the solution to this self-centered navel-gazing is found in a 2,000-year-old letter titled 1 Corinthians. Set aside these childish things and grow up. The Apostle Paul. 2,000 years ago. There's nothing new under the sun. King Solomon. History repeats itself, folks. We've been here before, and there is a solution. The academy isn't supposed to be a safe space. It's supposed to be a place to learn. It's supposed to be a place to learn that debate is good. (laughs) Debate is good, not bad. That disagreement is is good. That as iron sharpens iron, one man should sharpen another. It's a place to learn that a little cognitive dissonance is good, and you don't grow if there is no dissonance, if there's no tension. You're not refined by fire if there is no fire. That pursuing truth rather than protecting your opinions is good. That academic freedom is good, and ideological fascism Demanding compliance, demanding demanding uniformity, demanding that you look like us, talk like us, think like us, speak like us, and don't you dare question us or we will crush you. That academic freedom is good. 
and ideological fascism is bad. You've heard me say it over and over again. I've repeated it more than one time in this show. Education, the best education, good education, excellent education, true liberating education, classical liberal education, the liberal arts, the best education isn't supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be good. There's a huge difference between safety and goodness. There's a difference between first things and second things. Get your priorities straight. Safety should not be your priority. Goodness should be. The first thing has to be what's good and right and true and beautiful and beautiful, excuse me. The first thing has to be those self-evident truths that are endowed to us by God, not the selfishness that you see in the mirror, not in your microaggressions and trigger warnings and your whining for safe spaces. The best education isn't supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be good. I think I said it a couple days ago on this show. I know it's rude to say I told you so, but I told you so. I told you so. In my 2017 book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, I warned that this immaturity wouldn't stay at Berkeley and Brown or even in the University of Virginia. I warned it would end up in our boardrooms, in our Congress, in our courtrooms, and in our living rooms. I said over and over again that what is taught today in the classroom will be practiced tomorrow in our culture. Ideas have consequences. Garbage in, garbage out. Teach narcissism and self-absorption, and guess what? You're going to get a bunch of narcissistic and self-absorbed people. Teach safety over freedom, and you'll get a nation that will gladly give all its freedoms away under the guise, under the promise of Anthony Fauci and the like, that they're going to keep everyone safe. I warned of all this, and frankly, here we are. The snowflakes have graduated, and they've brought their cancel culture with them. And they now have jobs, like fact-checkers. And in their new shared offices while they're drinking their lattes, they're canceling your freedom of speech, they're canceling your freedom to disagree, they're canceling your freedom to debate, and they're even canceling your freedom to ask questions. And they're doing all this under the banner of juvenile cries of you hurt my feelings. I don't feel safe and I don't feel loved. This is childish. This is immature. This is what infants, this is what the terrible twos act like. Me and mine, and I feel this, and I feel that, and you did this, and you did that. 
Does that sound like an adult to you? But here's the deal. All is not lost. There's a solution to this nonsense, and frankly, it's quite simple. The answer is found where the problem started. Back in the classroom. The remedy to remedy, excuse me, not remedy, remedy. <laughs> the remedy to this disease of the mind, this pathology of the intellect, this diabolical human mind, this reprobate mind, the remedy to this cancer of the soul is found in teaching good ideas rather than bad. Teaching ideas that make sense rather than nonsense. Ideas like natural law rather than narcissism. Ideas like self-evident truths rather than self-actualization. Superior ideas. Maybe like uh, the content of your character being more important than the color of someone else's skin. Maybe even ideas like the priority of freedom over safety and the sacred, capital S, over the self. The solution, the answer to this insanity is to grow up. Life isn't supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be good. Education, good education, isn't about safe spaces. Good education is supposed to be a place where you learn. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past several years, a couple decades, three decades, maybe more, it's almost impossible to deny that the basic values that once served as the foundation for our republic these basic values, these priorities, the rock of our republic, the cornerstones of our republic, they've vanished like dust in the wind. The essential virtues, virtues, not vengeance, not victimization, not vice, the essential virtues, isn't it interesting that the lessons of history don't talk about victimization. The lessons of history actually condemn the vices and elevate the virtues. The essential virtues that just yesterday were assumed to be the bedrock of our free society have crumbled. I said the ivory tower has crumbled. Why? The ivory tower was built on a foundation, and the foundation was the assumption of objective truth, the pursuit of truth, a reality that was out there for you to embrace and understand and learn about. Immutable, time-tested truths, grounded in Christ the cornerstone. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 
This was the motto of the Academy, of the Ivory Tower, of our colleges and universities. I've shared with you before how many of our secular institutions actually have Christian mottos to this day. They don't know what they mean anymore. Like, like Fiat Lux, University of California's system. The motto is Fiat Lux, Latin for let there be light. Where's that come from? It comes from the Bible. Light being the representation of clarity of thought and mind. The illumination of truth with a capital T. Not the protection of your opinions and the wallowing in your feelings. Not the creation of stupid concepts like microaggressions and trigger warnings and safe spaces and claiming that people are privileged just because of their race or the color of their skin and they can't do anything about it, that endemically they are bigots and racists. That's not clear thinking. That's not true thinking. That is a lie. And like I said, unless you've been living under a rock for the last several years, it's hard to deny that our assumptions of truth Our basic values, these virtues, have just vanished. It seems like we're living in a twilight zone where everything is defined by the way we feel rather than the way we actually are. Conservatives are accused of being science deniers. We're the ones that are saying, wait a second, let's look at the facts. Stop talking to me about your feelings. But here's the deal. One of the casualties for this disregard for objectivity, for truth with a capital T, is a virtue. A lot of virtues have suffered casualties here. But I would argue the key one is the virtue of Christian charity. And Christian charity is otherwise known as love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not hold grudges. Okay, do you think BLM is kind? Do you think it's holding a grudge? Do you think the left holds a grudge? Do you think this whole movement of microaggressions and trigger warnings and safe spaces is built upon a grudge, or is it built upon what is good? Is it looking out the window and blaming everybody else for everything that's wrong with your life? Or is it looking in the mirror and accepting personal responsibility for yourself? Recognizing that your life is yours and yours alone. You can succeed or you can fail, but it's your responsibility and your fault at the end of the day. Oh, that's, I can't believe anybody would say that today. That's obviously evidence of your white privilege. Hogwash. Hogwash. First of all, as Vodi Bauckham says, there is no such thing as race in the Bible. There's only one race. It's the human race. Yes, you have reference to tribes, and yes, you have reference to physical characteristics, but those things do not separate people. They just define people so that you can recognize location, you can recognize physical appearances and distinctions between individuals like blonde hair or brown hair, or red hair, freckles or no freckles. Are we going to start dividing people by those categories next? Uh, Maybe we will. I don't know. 
But all of this is antithetical to the idea of Christian charity. Because today we assume that love is a feeling rather than a fact. The progressive mind, in the progressive mind, love is, like I said once before this week, love is just a secondhand emotion, like Tina Turner told us some 35 years ago. In the millennials' mind, in the millennial attitude, the definition of love is watered down to the ebbs and flows of the way we feel. And our culture's present understanding of love has suffered the arrogance of the original sin. We want to define everything because of the way we feel. We don't need God to define us any longer. Love has become synonymous with tolerance and tolerance with love. And you know what I'm going to say right now? That's not the case. In fact, any cursory review of the two terms will tell you that they're not interchangeable, but they're antithetical. They're opposites. They're antonyms. Love cares deeply. Enough to stand in your way and say, stop. Tolerance says, I could not care less. Do what you want. So the message for the day is stop tolerating me. I don't want to be tolerated. It's time that we rise to the standard of love. Love challenges. Love confronts. Love debates. Love disagrees. Love says no. Love doesn't always say yes. Love doesn't affirm. Love disciplines. And the story at the University of Virginia is not a story of love. It's a story of false tolerance. At the end of the day, it's a story of childish fixation rather than adult liberation. I would argue it's a story of hate rather than Christian charity because they'll hate those that disagree with them so much they'll say I hate those hateful people I can't tolerate their intolerance and they'll cancel them and expel them from medical school just for asking a question In times of universal deceit, and this stuff is universally deceptive, remember there is a solution. Natural law rather than narcissism. The savior rather than the self. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.